Hi, I'm Camille. I'm a professor at the USC School of Drama, and I'm obsessed with getting to the bottom of why so many talented actors are out of work and what we can do to change that at Speak LA. And I'm Jen. I ran a secret underground agency in LA for over 20 years with a group of actor friends so that we could find our own work. Jen and I interview top industry professionals in the entertainment business with a mission of learning what they know that got them to where they are so that we can share that intel with you. We are your hosts. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast, Underground Actor Talk, is sponsored by Actors Connection. It is also sponsored by the Speak LA membership, which provides you with professional guidance and hands-on mentoring. If you're serious about your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's the letter I, speakla.com. Today's guest, Janae Bakken, grew up in Minnesota, where she spent too many frozen winters on the cross-country ski team and went to college in Chicago, where she rarely saw the sun. So she made her escape to Los Angeles soon after graduation. She worked on the production staffs of such shows as Mad About You, Caroline in the City, and Malcolm in the Middle before making the jump to writer. Janae spent eight years writing on Scrubs, rising from a staff writer to co-executive producer, and was twice nominated for an Emmy Award with the other Scrubs producers. Janae was most recently an executive producer and writer on Netflix's Greenhouse Academy, and before that, a co-executive producer and writer on ABC Family's Baby Daddy for four seasons. She's also served as a co-ep on Anger Management and Gary Unmarried. In addition, Janae has written and sold several television pilots for Netflix, Warner Brothers, ABC Network, Disney Studios, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, and MRC. Janae has also worked as a guest professor at her alma mater, Northwestern University, teaching television writing to the MFA creative writing students. And today, she is our guest. We hope you enjoy this episode of Speak LA, the podcast. How old were you when you moved to LA? I was a month away from my 23rd birthday. Did you know anyone in LA? I had like two friends from college, one friend from childhood, and a cousin in Orange County, which is like being another state away from me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, About how much money did you have? I think I had about $2,500. And I would say $2,000 of that was loaned to me from my parents, but I paid them back. (laughs) Where did you live when you first got to L.A.? West Hollywood, right off of Fountain, and right between Fountain and Sunset, right below Rock and Roller Ralphs. Cool. I love that area. What was your first job in LA? I worked for two movie producers who were total assholes, and I got fired within <laughs> two months. <laughs> what was your initial impression of LA? Oh. Uh, Scary, pretty. Um, oh, but the weather. You know, I'm from Minnesota. It was just so lovely. And I think it's still so lovely. I'm so happy every day. Mm. 
How many years of living in LA until you felt like Los Angeles was home? Um, I would say it took me about three or four years to say that I really liked it and probably five or six before I could say I loved it. The first few years, it was just tolerable and I was just living here for the business. I feel you on that one. <laughs> if you had to sum up yeah. LA in one word, what would it be? Passionate. Oh, that's a great word. Yeah. That's a great word. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Janae, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, it's so fun for me too. Janae has been a dear friend for a long time, and I've, I've, we've been looking forward to this for a while. So this is this is really exciting. Um, I would love to just start at the top and kind of uh, ask you how you got started, and if you if you always knew that entertainment was something that you wanted to do. Well, I, I always loved to write as a kid and, um, I loved to act, but I also figured out that if you ever want to be an actress, you didn't get to eat. And I really like to eat. (laughs) Um, I figured out sometime in high school that it was kind of more fun to write and direct the shows than to be in the shows and things like that. Um, but I'll be honest in Minnesota, you do not leave Minnesota. And if you do leave, you don't go to California, which is full of earthquakes and cocaine. So, <laughs> I went to college at Northwestern in Chicago, which was already like, why are you going all the way to Chicago for college? That's crazy. I was like, it's the best thing I can do. Uh, my mother wouldn't let me go east of Ohio. So it was the best school I could get into. And anyway, it was only there that I got into this special writing program within my major of film and television, which should have said, Hey, I'm going to Hollywood, but no, I only did film and television because I thought I wanted to be in advertising and they didn't have advertising. But then I got into the screenwriting program and the teacher asked us on the first day what we wanted to do. And I said, Oh, I want to use this, these skills to become an advertiser. And she's like, well, we're going to see what we can do to change that. (laughs) I was really offended and really upset that she didn't believe in dreams. And then by the end of the first year of the program, I was like, I want to move to Hollywood and give this a try. And so that was um, the end of my junior year that I decided I was going to do it. I told my parents that they had a whole year to absorb the information. They were not happy about (laughs) it. Um, But I I just had this like, if I don't try this, I'm going to be one of those people who said, yeah, you know, I could have gone to Hollywood and I probably would have been pretty successful, but, uh, you know, I <laughs> and I would rather be still in the Midwest and go, yeah, you know, I went to Hollywood and I sucked and I didn't make it, but I have some really crazy stories to tell you. Mm. That was the whole intent to just say I tried, you know, and I, if I succeeded, that would be the uh, best outcome, but I really didn't, I just wanted to say I tried because I don't like when people talk about things they could have done. Did you put a limit on your time for yourself? Like, did you say, I'm going to try for a year or something? Yeah, I did. I said, by the time I got there, I was like, if I don't get an agent in five years, I'm out. And it was because oh, wow. I was meeting the right people. And uh, by the end of my first year, I think I was already working on a TV show. And and then I that subsequently led to other TV shows. I wasn't a writer. I was an assistant. 
But I realized I was meeting all the right people. And if I wasn't good enough to get an agent by five years in, then I probably wasn't good enough. But this was back in the day. I have seen people take 10 years to get an agent these days. It's like not fair almost. So I wouldn't give someone that advice now. But I, back then, that felt like the right amount of time. And I ended up getting an agent in four years. Did you know, I mean, it sounds like you had this very clear idea. Was it from this class, kind of the steps to take? I mean, the fact that you had a job in the industry so soon when you moved here on such a direct path is really, it's really incredible to me coming from the Midwest like you did. Well, (laughs) I I know. So this class did, it was a two-year intensive class. I don't want to brag, but Seth Myers was in my class. And wow. <laughs> I supported him for two years because he was gorgeous and he looked exactly like who's that British comedy um, rom com star at the time who got caught doing something illicit, but he's still cute. Oh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. He looked oh, exactly Hugh like Hugh Grant. I had a giant crush on him. Um, and my buddy Breen Frazier is <laughs> also in the class. He's like a executive producer of um, Criminal Minds. So it was a successful group of kids, ultimately. And we wrote yeah. TV scripts and movie scripts. And we had to do plays, which I sucked at. I have no depth to me whatsoever. Um, <laughs> we had to learn news writing. But um, yes, I guess when I came out of that was armed with an arsenal of like, I think I had two screenplays and a TV script, which most mm-hmm. people do not have when they move here. But that's not going to help you get an entertainment job as an assistant. What I did have is a degree from Northwestern and it put me in a like category of like, Oh, that's a really good school. And then there is within California, there's what they call the Northwestern mafia or the purple mafia. And it's, it's just a group of people who there's with big acting school and a film school. And they moved to LA and we're all from elsewhere and we're not from USC and we're not from UCLA. So it's kind of like we're special, you know, we're this group. And so we help each other out. And so those two things ended up getting me interviews that then I had to get the job myself. But this first mm-hmm. interview I got was because there was some dude you would call when you moved to LA. He was part of this Northwestern organization and he'd like show you around. I actually think he was using it to pick up women. But um, anyway... <laughs> He showed me around this studio lot and he ran into this woman who was like uh, also an assistant. And he's like, hey, weren't you saying that a couple of your buddies were looking for an assistant? And they, these guys were doing a movie set in Chicago. And I was like, oh, my God, I can help that. So I interviewed with these guys and they had an assistant that they were trying to get rid of. And so they hired me to like transition. But this girl was no dummy. And she figured that out real fast. And she found a way to make all of her mistakes mine. And I made plenty of mistakes on my own. And I'm like driving around town with a Thomas guide, no idea where I'm going, taking <laughs> your streets that you should never take during rush hour. And I got fired two months later. And um, I have, I've been working since I was 14 at the A&W. I often had three or four jobs during high school. It was the most devastating blow to my ego and just to my work ethic that I have, I was so embarrassed and, to call my parents and be like, I got fired, you know? And of course, all my mother would keep saying is, just come home. Just come home. <laughs> just come home. <laughs> I was like, I'm not coming home. And then uh, I sat in my apartment for a month depressed. And I, uh, it was all I could do to send one resume a day. 
And back then, you know, you had to go to the grocery store and pay them to fax it. And it was $2 mm -hmm. a page. So it was really expensive. And, uh, and then I got a job at William Morris as an assistant. And that I got because the, um, they actually had a, a real life HR person. She don't have a lot of HR in Hollywood, but the agents did. And she read my resume and I had this weird thing on it, which is that I had been Gedney, the Minnesota pickle. Um, and I walked around in a giant pickle suit at state fairs and um, local parades. And she called me up and she said, it was like a Friday afternoon. And she goes, I am laughing so hard at this pickle job. You have to tell me all about it. I go, if you bring me in for an interview, I'll bring you a picture. And she said, okay, come in Monday morning. <laughs> and that's, she liked me. She liked me. And I got the job um, working for a big agent in at William Morris, who was pretty awful, but I made it through. <laughs> Do you think somebody, somebody liking somebody is half the battle? Like, do you think, do you think that, yeah, that like personality is, you know, has that, has that led to a lot of jobs, you know, versus the actual grittiness of like writing a script and. Well, when you're first starting out, they don't hire you because you write a script. Although lately I have seen a lot of people go, I'm looking for a writer's assistant, but I want to read their scripts too, because I might promote them. So I, I always feel for these people. I'm like, Jesus, if you're a bad writer, you can't get the job. These poor kids. But um, I do think, you know, I think that my degree sometimes got me in the door or sometimes like somebody had an affection for Northwestern. And I don't think that that's going to be a hindrance if you didn't go to a certain school. But then when I got in the door, it was this like Midwestern smile and Midwestern freckles that just kind of like, and I have this very honest smiley. I just don't think people saw that a lot in LA, like, you know, cause there's probably a lot of East coasters mm -hmm. and, um, people are trying to act really cool. And I just wasn't very cool. And I know like, so the first, <laughs> the, the job I got after William Morris, I was only at William Morris for, I think four months, it was four months of hell, but I was only there for four months because while I'd been unemployed, I had sent a bunch of resumes to a bunch of TV shows, not realizing they were all on hiatus at the time. But one of them, um, a woman who worked there, uh, had a brother who got to Northwestern 25 years before. So apparently she took my resume and put it in a pile. And then when one of the assistants went a little crazy, they uh, called me. And then by then I was working at William Morris. Like I didn't even have William Morris on my resume at the time. But then, I mean, that's worth its weight in gold because if you can suffer at an agency, you can do anything. And they know that. But mm -hmm. so she brings me in to interview with the executive producer of the show who's looking for a new assistant. And he was this East Coast guy, but he had gone to college in Madison, Wisconsin, and he loved Midwesterners, and he thought I was just adorable, and he hired me. I mean, that's really – his name is Fred Barron, and I owe him so much because he was my first television job in the industry, and he was so encouraging from, the, from day one. He was like, I'm going to make you an executive producer. And I was like, I, I want to be a writer. He's like, I know. I'm going to make you a producer. And I didn't understand that executive producer and writer were kind of the same thing, and executive <laughs> a really big shot writer and he was so kind and he, and you know I'll tell you especially back then a lot of men did not take women in the business very seriously and he was nothing but wonderful about you know reading my stuff telling me to write you know he's like you have all this time on your hands it was a job that I answered the phone like five times a day 
versus William Morris, where I think I answered it a hundred times a day. And I was like, this is the easiest job in the world. And he's like, you have all this time. I want you to write something. And if you write something, I'll read it and I'll give you notes. So. Wow. How kind. But you did the thing that's really cool, wow. Janae, and I hope our listeners really hear this, is that you did the steps. Like you were discouraged from being fired, but you sent out the resume. You know, you showed up to the job that was tough, and then he says to write something, you're like, Okay, I'm gonna do that. I mean, I think that that's also half the battle when you're in a in an industry where you you kind of don't understand the steps or you don't quite know where the directions are going to take you is just to show up and do the things like the next right action. (laughs) And that's really, that's really inspiring to hear. Mm. Yeah. I think the first year in LA is about Mm -hmm. keeping your head above water and meeting up with people and making friends. And I didn't write for a year and it was, I had been here for years when he challenged me to write the script. And what I did was I'd never written anything that I didn't have to turn in for a grade. And I'm very goal oriented and I'm very like grade oriented. So I took a class through UCLA Extension. They have this amazing writing program. Any kind of script you want to write, rom-com, sci-fi, or TV, half hour, hour. Um, and they're all taught by former TV writers because there's so many of us in this town. And uh, that's what finally got me learning how to write without getting a grade because I'm paying for this class. Who cares what this grade is? It's just an extension. And they're excellent. So that's really cool. When I I'm I'm curious if you have any perspectives to share about being in the audition room. So when you like, you know, do do television producers say, Oh, I really like it when an actor does this, or I wish they would stop doing this, or like what do you see that really stands out to you in that process? <laughs> Okay, so the place that I was in the room the most was at Scrubs, and that was for eight years. And um, yes, there were... Okay, so uh, sometimes as an actor, you're going to go in, it's just going to be the director or just the casting director or whatever. But if there is a writer in the room and you are aware of that, here's the things that I hate. (laughs) I hate when... Um, the actor comes in and they just kind of loosely say what the script is. You know what I'm saying? Like they might use their own words or sometimes they rewrite the line completely. Uh, um, that is so incredibly offensive to me. And I have stayed up until three in the morning fighting over whether it should be this or that. I mean, literally the word this or that. And so because then I'm like, that's funnier. That is funnier, not this. Ending it on that. Literally, I'm not talking about like examples. I'm saying the words this or that. And so when you come in and you say this, it's like, uh, no, (laughs) that's a little offensive. Um, I really couldn't stand the actors who were like, oh my God, hey, so good to see you. I I saw you at that party last week. It was never never to me because I wasn't cool enough, but it was usually to the casting director or maybe if they knew someone more important in the room. And they were trying to be so chummy and like, oh, oh my God, I, I got this. Yeah, no, I do it all the time. <laughs> They're just too friendly and it just makes your skin crawl how cheesy they are. I just like someone who's like polite and, and nice. I'm like, hi, oh my gosh, it's good to see you. And here's what I do love. If you know the writers in the room and you genuinely feel this way, I love the script. If you got to read the whole script, this is such a good script. Or... Gosh, you, you're a writer on this show. Uh, this is one of the best written shows in LA. I just had to tell you that. Don't elaborate. 
don't kiss my ass. But we like to be complimented just like everybody else does. And if we can tell that there's sincerity mm. and that you genuinely do, like maybe you point out like the female characters on the show are just so well written and real. It's just so nice. I mean, like, especially as a female writer, you're telling me that you like what I'm doing. That is huge. So um, I like that. I like um, it, it's obviously I'm a comedy writer, so it's awesome when they're funny. We never are upset when somebody adds what we call a button at the end of the audition. So either you do the audition, you do it as written. And then if you're sharp and funny enough, you might add one more line just th that's funny. And I'll tell you, there are many times when we steal that joke. We often try to hire you <laughs> because you gave us that joke. <laughs> but um, that's, that's never offensive to add a joke mm -hmm. at the end. Not in the middle, not instead of one of the ones I wrote, but at the end, that's okay. Those are such good tips. I, I'm a little bit cringing because I think I've done the opposite <laughs> of all of those things at some point in my career, in my acting career. Um, but I, I really, I, God, I just really so, uh, I, I, those are, those are really good insider tips. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, gosh, there was something you said that I wanted to ask you to elaborate on. Was it the sincerity of actors? Because I can about that forever. Like, and it's sincerity is not something you no. can teach. I, you know, but ah, oh, it's so gross when the insincere versus the sincere actor. You can just feel it, and I think that's everything in this business. Frankly, I know that sometimes insincere, gross people do get hired for whatever job, but in general, I think if you're real and a good person and whatever. Getting it hired. Um, I we've had a lot of showrunners, writers, directors on the podcast that have said um, they like to be surprised, and I'm I'm wondering if that's something that like when you have written a script and actors are coming in and reading your material, do you have sort of an idea in your head where you're like I'm waiting for the the actor to come in and do this thing? Or are you sitting there thinking, I hope somebody comes in and does something completely different and sort of blows my mind, you know, uh, no, and when I say completely different, I, I hear you about not changing the script. I mean more, are you looking for a fresh take on what you've written or are you looking for it to be done the way you're imagining it in your head? Or maybe That's both. a really I good know. question and one that's really hard to answer. I mean, I'm thinking if it's a five liner or less, you just want it done the way you want it. But um, mm -hmm. if it's a bigger part and someone comes in and says it like in a way that you did not see coming, but it's so cool. Yeah. We love that. And I don't know if there's a way that, you know, I, I do, I am the writer that if they are missing an actor at the table read, I, um, they ask me to read it, which is always fun. It fulfills my little acting thing, but I still get to have the, <laughs> so um it's all about food and pizza for me um <laughs> but uh so I do have maybe a better sense of what I want it to sound like than your average writer I mean a lot of writers just cannot act to save their lives so they really don't you have to remember they really don't know what they want to hear until they hear it but I think in comedy mm. we've read it out loud a lot more and so there is a cadence to jokes so when it comes to jokes specifically, if you say the joke wrong, you're kind of dead in the water. 
And, you know, if you're a really dramatic actor and you're going in for comedy, it's, you know, it's probably not, you're probably not going to do great. I mean, um, so that's, I don't do a lot of drama. And I think that's different. That's where you can, you can have like five different takes on something and be like, whoa, I didn't see it in this really dark way, but that was really cool. So I don't know if I have a good answer for you, but I, you know. No, that's a that's a perfect answer. I, I'd love to elaborate on that and ask you a question, which is, you know, actors are so often taught in acting school when we're learning comedy, don't play the comedy, you know, play play it as real as you can um, to, to sort of make it work. And like, you know, like I think of like those like Christopher Guest actors that are also funny, but they like I think of them as like they they really I feel like. I don't know. I feel like they're playing the the sort of oh, real, real and subtlety, and yeah, yeah. The, the day of yeah. the big uh, joke and whatever is kind of over, unless you're on a four camera, four camera. Which mm-hmm. you know, this is something to know. I, I think that some actors don't know and some do, but four camera looks different. The script literally looks different from a single camera. So four camera, the action lines are all in caps, and the dialogue lines are spaced uh, one and a half or two. So that it looks different versus a single camera script, which there's no caps on anything. And the dialogue is just written, you know, single space. And if you can picture that in your head, anyway, if you know, you're going in for four camera, you can be a little bigger. Um, they're going to try to, the, the rule as a writer was to try to have three jokes a page. Whereas a single camera, you might just have one joke a page. It's going to be a lot more subtle. And nowadays, my God, with the proliferation of dramedies, and comedras, if you will, like there's kind of no line. And I was actually pitching a pilot this fall and the executive was like, God, it's just so nice to be in on a pitch that's so funny because most of the pitches these days are for comed- um, dramedies and they don't have a lot of jokes in the pitches. I'm like, oh, I, I'd forgotten that everything's kind of different now. Um, but anyway, I guess it's to say I, I can't stand when an actor self laughs. Yeah. There's a couple of <laughs> shows the actors self-laugh or they smile when they're saying the joke and that drives me nuts and it usually is on a four camera show and it's clearly like they've been instructed or they themselves want to make sure that you know it's funny and they're just being a nice guy and I hate that but I think that that, you know those are few and far between if you're laughing at your own joke then you're not being real it's not you know you're you're trying to get a laugh that's I mean, that goes back to what you were saying, though, about being authentic, I think. And it's, I think it's kind of cool because we talk a lot about um, what, what people, what draws people when somebody walks into a room. And a lot of people have said confidence. And I would, I would almost equate what you're saying, which is like being really comfortable with who you are and authentic and everything in every interaction you're doing as confidence. And it's so funny because I will say it took me such a long time to understand that first bit of saying hello to, to somebody. Like I think initially I felt, I mean, I, I don't think I'm like a total introvert, but I definitely, you know, I, when I'm walking into a room and I feel I'm thinking about stuff, I don't usually feel like being like, Hey, how's it going? You know? And, um, and there are some actors that are very much like that. So I love that from the beginning of when you walk in and it even goes back to what you're saying about working on doing the lines, like being authentic and how you're approaching the lines, not laughing at yourself while you're saying the joke. Um, but I love, I just, I like that <laughs> idea of authenticity and I just wanted to underline it again because I do think it kind of connects back to confidence. 
I would, I honestly would rather an actor come in and I, you can tell they're a little shy <laughs> than be overbearing. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hi. Yeah, I hate those people. I hate them. You think this exude the skin crawliness to me? You know, there's probably uh, there's probably some male producers who find it hot because these women are usually hot, or if they're men, uh, that I don't know. Some people, you know, if they're a cheesy guy, they probably like the cheesy guy. But if it, I that is it, grosses me out so much, I can't stand it. So I would so rather have the slightly shy. Hey, it's nice. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for having me in. Yeah. You know, be real. Mm. Be you. Be real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so funny. I'm just gonna say this very quickly. But when you said shy, I, I remember, I don't know if either of you guys have ever done clowning before. But that idea of like clowning, I know this is a crazy thing to say, but that you're supposed to be like super funny and out there. And I remember when I was like taking some clowning classes, like you're supposed to be very real and authentic. And I was the shy clown because it was so hard for me to, it, I, I felt so much shyness and that, mm. and it's so real to your personality. And I feel better when I have the lines and I can go in, I've done the work and I know I've done the work and I can come in there and do it. But that like being that real and having people see me just even before. And it was such a relief to me when I was like, Oh, I get to be the shy clown. Like I get to just come in and be like, hi. And so I love that you're saying that because it's really like, who are you authentically when you walk in the room and then have the work back you up and do a good job. Yeah, totally. I also think it's a matter. I mean, as you're saying this, I'm sort of realizing like, which never occurred to me, you know, in my million years of, of acting, and I wish it had, because it might have been helpful. But, um, but that you're working into you're, you're sorry, as an actor walking into an audition, you're walking into a professional space, you know, this is this is where these writers and producers work. And it, it's, it seems like I'm, it's kind of just dawning on me, it's like a respect thing, you know, to walk in and be like, I am going to be respectful of that. This is a your space and be your workspace. You know, it's not a hangout coffee shop nightclub space, you know? So I, I, that is, um, yeah, that's, that's a, I, I love hearing you talk about that. Yeah. Sometimes those actors who came in and made small talk, I mean, literally I was like, can we just, I mean, I just want to get going. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. 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 Who who's your favorite actor you've ever worked with and why? And you can you can give us a name or not, you know, but just like I would love to just hear from a writer producer what's like a perfect actor. Oh gosh. I mean, there are so many great ones obviously and you know, we had so many phenomenal guest stars um on various shows that I worked on. But I I would shout out two actresses um in particular which is um Sarah Chalk on Scrubs. She played Elliot mm -hmm. and Chelsea Kane on Baby Daddy. And both of them, mm -hmm. God, they're just, their range was incredible. You, you could get an emotional moment and, but their comedy chops were amazing. Um, they mm -hmm. were so kind. And as people always made you feel like you were the only person in the room that they wanted to talk to. And furthermore, when, you know, you bring your guests through and I, I hate 
you know, I hate fakeness and I hate like, hey, we pose for a picture, but your friends and your family want to pose for a picture with the actors. And I've worked with so many actors who were so great about this. So it's not like just these two were great about it, but the kindness and the, oh my gosh, yes, of course. And then particularly these two were always like, so where are you from? Oh my gosh, it's so nice. I'm taking time. Mm-hmm. They are busy women. They are, there is, in my head, I'm like, you don't need to know any of these facts about these people. You're never going to talk to them again. I'm very practical. Mm-hmm. But both of those women are just so kind and always took the time. And, you know, I became personal friends with them. But then on a professional level, particularly Sarah, but Chelsea too, I mean, every word we wrote, she said. No extra words, mm-hmm. no extra lines, no. Uh, the, the level of respect like for both of these women to say exactly what we wrote. Some writers are much more like, I don't really care. You, you know, you can, you can paraphrase. I'm, I am more like, no, no, no. I was in that room till two in the morning or I wrote that joke. I know what's funnier. And I, and it's just so respectful to say the words as written. And uh, Sarah was the quickest study I've ever seen in my life. Um, you could give her a line with complicated medical verbiage and, uh, five minutes later, she'd be saying it perfectly. Um, she was mm-hmm. the kind of writer who, or actor who you could sit and you would have these conversations about boys or <laughs> clothes or just really <laughs> whatever in your life. And then they'd be like, okay, rolling. And she'd be like, and then she'd start crying because that was the, she never had to, she was not one wow. of those actors who needed their space or like couldn't. And that's, hundred percent okay if you are that kind of actor i get it you have to cry on camera and in fact little side story i had to act once i was in a commercial my ex-husband was an actor and they wanted real couples to come in and since i do have that little actor inside of me and i was uh at my wedding weight um we booked the commercial and so i had to act in this commercial for two days and i knew what to do because i was i'd been on sets and whatever I have, I remember my husband at the time joking in between takes and chatting and chatting with people, chatting with me. And I remember being like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because I needed to like concentrate on these lines that I was supposed to memorize and this mood and the director kept telling me, do it this way. No, do it this way. Um, and, but I also knew that I was mic'd, so I couldn't tell him to fucking shut up. It was like a whole thing. And so I have such respect for these actors. I get it when you need your space and your whatever, but Sarah would just like bing and Chelsea's very similar. I just adore both of them. They're just good humans and they're so, so talented. Great answer. We are we are getting close to our time. I would love to ask you, Janae, because I know your work ethic and I know you're always writing and I know, you know, you've been doing this now for a couple decades. What keeps you inspired, stimulated? Like, what do you, what do you, where do you go when you're feeling discouraged or, um, you know, I don't know if you deal with writer's block, but just like when it's hard. Oh, it, I, I am not the most um, dedicated writer in the world. So unless I have an assignment, um, I'm like, oh, I don't have to write today. I wish I was one of those writers who's like, I write every day and move far. And um, I hate those people, actually. I, I admire them and I uh, wish I was one of them. I'm not. Um, 
I'm very goal oriented. So if I have a script due, I will write it, but, uh, and I can write it in a day if I need to, but if I don't, um, but, uh, what keeps me motivated? I mean, whenever I can find a nugget of another, a new idea that is so exciting to me, the most recent thing that I worked on was a script about the, or idea about the Christian music industry. I mean, who would have thought, but it kind of came to me and I know someone who works in the business and researching is everything for me. So that's a little writer thing that I think sometimes people forget that that's an element that you can do. If you don't know a world, you line up five interviews with people who did it. I wrote a script about the HR, human resources, and I didn't know anyone who worked in human resources, but I put something out on Facebook and people either work in HR or have friends who work in HR. Guess who never gets to talk about their life ever? HR. Or people who work at a church. I wrote a script about a church once. I mean, people love to talk about themselves, it, not in an egotistical way, just in like, nobody's ever asked me that question before. And I'm really good at asking questions. Mm-hmm. And when you do the right research, these scripts practically write themselves. So I think that's what really inspires me and keeps me going is, is, and I need to, I literally need to take my own advice right now, find somebody to interview about something. And, and, and because the second I, I get so energized from these interviews and that it's almost like a podcast, you know, and then you, you get all these little tidbits about the people who work in the office with them or whatever. And it's just awesome. And then the other thing I was thinking <laughs> is financial security, which I know that not everybody can mm-hmm. have or does have, but when I was making good money, I saved, you know, eight out of every $10. So that when the lean times came and they come, uh, they keep coming, I am not terrified because it is a terrifying world where you're constantly looking for a new job or hoping that a job will open up. There's no stability whatsoever. I mean, the eight years I had on Scrubs or four years on Baby Daddy were the greatest gift of my life. But um, And the other thing is you're always wishing you could travel, but you're working crazy hours and crazy whatever. And so then when you lose your job or it goes away, you need to be able to like, this is the time I should, I go to travel. So travel also keeps me a little sane is being able to get away and, and to be able to have the money to do it. So don't get the BMW, don't get the, you know, six bedroom house. Um, to, don't buy the fancy clothes, live as though you're still making the assistant salary when you get the big time job. And then you will have the financial security to not freak out when the bad times come because they will. Oh. Yep. That's sound advice. If 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 I, if I take anything away from this, it's that. I mean, that's uh, that's that's sound advice and and a mistake. I think so many of us have have made in all aspects of all different careers. You know, when you're making a lot of money, you feel like it's going to be coming forever. That's a good. Yeah, I, I I can't imagine what yeah. that must be like. It sounds well. Yeah, I will say this. A um, couple of things. I I was raised in a very midwestern middle class uh, thing, but uh, you know my dad lost his job a couple of times, so I understood that jobs did not always stay. And then um, when I started in this business, there were no women over forty working, basically. And so all of us, you know, all of us twenty five year old aspiring writer assistants. We're all like, well, I guess when we're 40, we're not going to be hired anymore. There was ageism and sexism going on. Uh, I don't see that happening nearly as much anymore. And I know plenty of women over 50 who are working. It's crazy. But um, 
-hmm. we were all like, well, we're just going to have to save all our money because we're never going to work past 40. And so all literally to a T, all of my girlfriends, we all saved our money. I did not see my male counterparts do that as well, maybe. But my female friends, we're all doing just fine, even when we don't work, because we're like, oh, no, I put that money away. Yeah, I think it's great advice. I, I think for actors, too, it's it's, um, you know, it's very easy when you're working or when you're on a show or a soap or, you know, getting a lot of movie roles to feel like. I, I, to take to take it for granted and to feel like it's going to come forever and you know maybe it will and I hope for anybody listening that it does but um it is you know I love that you say baby daddy and scrubs that that they were the biggest gifts of your life because it really is I feel like in this industry when you're working it, it is a bit of a oh, gift yeah. you know because it's um it's a hard thing to get. Sadly, we are out of time, but we, we always like to end our show asking our guests because our, our, our podcast is as much about LA as the industry. Um, if you can share anything that you have noticed, and I'm sure you have lots of things being a girl from the Midwest that, you know, descended upon LA, uh, but that is unique to, to LA. Um, this is tough. And there's like so many, you know, ones that we all know, but I would, I think a lot about how I did not know a single person who wasn't in the entertainment industry until I had a child. Literally mm -hmm. I lived here. That would have mean that, that I lived here for 11 years before I met a person who did not have a job in the <laughs> entertainment industry. I didn't even know anyone who worked in the music industry. That's how yeah. singular it is, but that's all I met. That's who I worked with. That's who I married. Um, and so I find that fascinating, especially when you move here, when you're young and you get into the business, you just will have, and that's why I say LA is passionate because everybody is pursuing mm -hmm. a dream. Everybody, the, the joke is that everybody was the best actor in their hometown, you know, and, and then you get all <laughs> the best actors vying for the one thing. And that's just what it is. It's all the, it's all the kids who are either super funny or super great actor, or super beautiful. That's fun. That's super fun to <laughs> be around most people. And so it's just this like mix of people who are all like just high energy and passionate and outgoing and um, following their dream. And it's wonderful. And then when you finally do have a child and then you meet normal people with normal jobs, that's so refreshing too. <laughs> I love my normal friends. They're really nice people. But, um, it's a perfect answer, though. That's a perfect answer. That is such an L.A. thing that, you know, it just feels like, especially when you're in it, it feels like everybody works in the industry. Yeah. This was awesome. It's perfect. Thank you so much, Janae. It was just wonderful. Yeah, Janae, this has been really great. I, I knew it would be. And thank you for all your words of wisdom and funny stories and sharing really thank appreciate you very it. much it was this was lovely it's my first yeah. time oh, what? You guys, so yeah thanks for breaking my <laughs> oh <laughs> thanks for breaking it with us <laughs> this episode of speak la the podcast was sponsored by actors connection actors connection offers free resources including valuable online programs for more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of homevoiceoverstudio.com. 
So guys, we have been trying out a new app called Wisdom. It's pretty cool because we get to talk directly with you. So come and chat with us at Speak LA on Wisdom. We'll be there on January 5th, 2022 at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't make it, follow us on the app and you'll get notified about any future times when we're live. We'd love to talk to you and answer any questions you might have about the industry. We can't wait to hear from you, so come join us if you can. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille thornton Awesome, and we are the founders of Speak LA. You can find us at ispeakla.com. Bye-bye. Bye.